Good morning. Welcome to the Springs. We are so thankful you are joining us this morning for Online Church. Uh, This morning, we find ourselves in week three of our sermon series on the subject of discipleship called Follow Me. Uh, So our first week, we taught on the calling, what it looks like and what it means when Jesus invites us to follow him. Uh, Last week, we taught on the next step in the discipleship journey with a message called Counting the Cost that Pastor Peter preached last Sunday. You can check it out. It's on our YouTube channel. And this morning, we are wrapping up our series with a message entitled, commissioned by Jesus. This morning, we will be unpacking some of Jesus' final words as we dive into Matthew chapter 28. Now, before I read our scripture, in keeping with our new digital tradition, I'm going to ask you to pause this video in a moment. And when you do that, I want you to do three simple things. Number one, I want you to grab something to take notes on. We want you to engage in this word, follow along with us as you put pen to paper or your thumbs to your screen so that you can commit to memory some of the things that we're going to talk about and expound upon. Number two, I want you to open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, and I want you to read it out loud to yourself or to your family. And after you've done those first two things, I want you to take a moment and pray and ask God to transform you into his image through the word and to help you engage in the word today wherever you find yourself. So go ahead and pause the video. All right, thank you for taking a moment to do those three things. Now let's read the word together. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. It says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, I ask that you would help me preach this word and communicate your truth. And Lord, I pray that you would prepare our hearts to receive your word and that we may be transformed by the reading of your word. And may you move in us, Holy Spirit, to apply it in our everyday lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So one thing that my wife and I have in common is we both enjoy grocery shopping. Now, I know that's kind of a a rough transition, but I'm going somewhere with this, so so stay along with me. Uh, We both discovered that we both love grocery shopping, but for completely different reasons. Uh, She loves the experience of picking out her own food, thinking through the meals that she's going to make for the week. She is a very slow grocery shopper, very methodical, and loves taking her time through the aisles. I am the complete opposite. I love the experience of of walking through the aisles, casually people watching as I push my cart and having very brief interactions with strangers or people that I may run into. Now, some would call this overwhelming and the worst part of grocery shopping, I call it refreshing and fun. Now, another thing I enjoy is picking up random products because they look cool and buying them. I love the idea of buying snacks because it looks like it could be tasty. 
and it turns out to be terrible. So very early on in my very young marriage, Morgan and I discovered that we can't grocery shop together. It's, it's just incompatible. Why? Because we have completely different philosophies. She moves slow. I move fast. She is methodical and strategic about what she is buying. I have absolutely no plan or vision for food. And instead of it being a refreshing experience for the both of us, we end up leaving the store stressed and frazzled at each other. So before coronavirus, she did all the grocery shopping, but now with her being pregnant and high risk for corona, I'm doing all the grocery shopping and it is amazing. So here's what this looks like. Uh, she sends me off with a very detailed list of what she wants me to get done. And I get to have the fun experience of extroverting with a mask on. It's not the same, but we make it work. So I go to the store. She has commissioned me. She has given me an assignment. She has told me to go. So I go with essentially a list of commands. I am commanded to buy all these things on this list. Easier said than done, at least for me, because here is what ends up happening. Instead of sticking to the plan and getting the items Morgan asked for, I end up buying what I think she wants and not what she clearly asked for. True story, one week she clearly asked me to buy blueberries. She wanted blueberries for her breakfast, for her smoothies, for these meals that she had planned out. But after seeing how much blueberries cost, I thought to myself, I could purchase another gallon of a fun flavor of ice cream for the same price as blueberries. And I did that and totally ruined her plans for breakfast and smoothies that week. One week she asked me for a specific hot sauce. And instead of buying the one she asked for, I bought two completely different ones because the marketing got me. They just looked so cool to me. They ended up being terrible. So instead of making the purchases, making the grocery decisions that would please my wife, I ended up making a purchase that I thought was going to please her. All this to say, in our Christian life, we can easily get caught up in making things for God. We make things, humans make things either out of our lives, we make choices and decisions, some of which aren't bad at all, they are actually good things. But more often than not, we get caught up in making things for God that we think will be pleasing to Him, but we rarely ask ourselves, am I making what God has asked me to make? We are given an assignment by God, a commission, and instead of asking Him what He has Instead of doing what he's asked us to make, we make other things that might be great, but are we making what Jesus has asked us to make? Do we make what's pleasing to him? What is one clear thing that Jesus has commanded every single one of us to do? What is that? He's asked us to make disciples. Jesus tells us to make disciples. Make disciples, not converts. Make devoted followers of Jesus. Wherever you find yourself, wherever you are rooted, wherever you are living, wherever you are working, make disciples. Now this word disciple is used more frequently than Christian to refer to believers in the Bible. The word disciple occurs 269 times, or as Christian only appears three times. 
Luke, the New Testament writer and early church historian, uses these terms interchangeably. To be a Christian is to be a disciple. Now, this word disciple speaks to our identity. We are disciples first, and parents, employees, students, spouses, second. I've heard it put this way. Disciple is an identity. Everything else is a role. Our roles are temporary, but our identity will last forever. Now, there are three aspects that comprise a disciple's identity. Number one, a disciple is a student and a learner. Uh, our first week in this series, we looked at this Greek word, mathetaeus, which means to be a student or pupil. And in the ancient world, discipleship was a common practice in the religious and secular world. world. Political groups, religious groups, different jobs and trades had disciples. They had students that were being trained to become like their leader. Now, Jesus takes a commonly occurring practice of a student-teacher dynamic and completely revolutionizes it. How? Because Jesus' disciples were viewed as more than students. He viewed them as family. And this is the second aspect of discipleship. It's relational. Jesus brings us into his family. In our Every Nation ministry, our family of churches and campus ministry, it's been said this way. Discipleship is relationship. Relationship with God and relationship with others. God humbled himself to share life with everyday people. He broke down the barriers of gender, class, status, and politics and shared his entire life with them. They shared meals. They went on road trips together. They were uh, always around each other. Jesus shared his heart, his joy, and sufferings with them, and they did this for three years. Yet this life that Jesus lived was not limited only to his immediate followers or select few. This brings us to the third aspect in the identity of a disciple. A disciple is missional. The, the family was meant to grow. The circle of family was to be expanded. This circle was not designed to sit and gather, but to go and grow Go and share the good news of Jesus. Go and serve and care for the least of these. Go and love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Go engage in a life of service and witness to the one true God. Now, all three of these aspects are expressed in Jesus' great commission. So how do we make disciples? How do we fill this command? Jesus says we fill this command by doing three things, by going, by baptizing, and by teaching. The heart of God is to make disciples not just of a small people group, but of every ethnic group in the world. Jesus tells us that by going, baptizing, and teaching, we can fulfill his mandate. So let's briefly unpack these terms before we move into more practical application for our lives. So let's talk about going. Going reflects two things. It reflects the missional nature of the disciples and the sent nature of the disciples. We are sent. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Now, this isn't the first time the Bible, uh, in the Bible Jesus tells us to go, 
let alone the only commission in the Bible. On the very first pages of the Bible, in the first chapter, God gave humans, Adam and Eve, the first mandate or the first commission, what biblical scholars have called the cultural mandate. It's found in Genesis 1.28. It says this, And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Commenting on these verses, uh, Andy Crouch says, humans were meant by God to extend the bounds of the garden, to move out of the garden, to discover all its possibilities and care for the world the way God cares for the world to uncover the possibilities of the world and bringing them to its fullness. And in doing so, they would reflect the beauty, majesty, wonder, and love of God. Now, this was incredibly short-lived. They never made it out of the garden. You know how the story goes. Satan comes into the garden, deceives Adam and Eve. Instead of practicing obedience, they disobey God. And now sin disrupts the relationship we have with God, and distorts and mars the image of God on us. They are still created in the image of God, but now they have lost the presence of God. The untethered connection and access they once had to God has been lost. And with that, they lost the authority and power to carry out their original purpose to subdue the world, to extend the bounds of the garden, to create a world that glorifies God and is centered around his rule and reign. They lost the power to be able to do that. And so the story, as the story unfolds, not to oversimplify, uh, humanity in the Old Testament, there's this poor attempt to try to get back to God, to get back what they lost to get relationship with God restored and have untethered access to him. And there's also this poor attempt that we see in the Old Testament of humans and their attempt to make a name for themselves instead of following the one true God. And both of these things lead to all sorts of spiritual and ethical dilemmas. Now, there is so much to unpack in this great commission, and I wish we had months to spend here because it is so rich. But a few things I want to point out is that what we lost in the beginning has been restored because of Christ Jesus, and we see that in these verses. We are given essentially the same mandate, but in a new form. We are commissioned to go. And Jesus promises that when we go, he will always be with us. So I want to point a few more things, point out a few more things about going. These verses, along with a dozen others in the Bible, say that when we go, we are sent. We are sent under Jesus's authority and in Jesus's power. So this authority is not some sort of spiritual or Christian authority. It is authority over heaven and earth, over everything. There is absolutely nothing outside of Jesus' authority. He is Lord. And because he is Lord, we can submit to his lordship. This authority demands universal allegiance. 
The scripture makes it clear that it is incompatible to be a follower of Christ solely by just believing in God. You you can't say that I'm a follower and then do whatever you want. Jesus is not only your Savior, He is your Lord. Hebrews 1.3 says that, that he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Colossians 1.15 through 17 says he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thronged or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Now, why do I bring this up? This commission, this mandate, this God-given assignment begins with Jesus, ends with Jesus, and is all about Jesus. It doesn't begin with me or you or a pastor or a veteran Christian. It starts with Jesus, and it is not about me or anyone else. Jesus says at the end of verse 20, I am with you to the end of the age. So when we go, we don't go in our own effort. When we go, we go with Jesus. We go under this authority. We go under his power. We are empowered by him and he is with us. One of the most life-changing things I, I learned about being a follower of Christ is that my human effort will not make me more like Jesus. And likewise, we, we don't grow in our own effort, and we also don't go in our own effort. The mission of making disciples starts and finishes with Jesus, and we go empowered by the Holy Spirit. It is a grace-driven effort. And here's what I've noticed, at least in my own personal life, is that going becomes real, really difficult if the mission starts with you, becomes about you, and ends with you. If following Jesus and sharing his good news starts with your fears, expectations, or convenience, then you will be limited to your own power instead of being empowered by God. Jesus takes the time to remind us that he is with us. He is with you, irrespective of your successes or failures. What a wonderful promise we have in Christ. The disciples were going, and they were also baptizing. Let's talk about what baptism means for a moment. What is baptism? And what does it have to do with making disciples? Baptism is a sign that we have internalized the gospel. Speaking on baptism, the Apostle Paul says in Romans 6.4, We are buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. In baptism, we are identifying with Christ and his death. 
As we are lowered into the water, the watery grave, Paul says we are being lowered into death so that we may be raised to new life in Christ. Theologian John Stott commenting on this passage of scripture says, the apostle Paul has been painting an idyllic picture of the people of God. Having been justified by faith, they are standing in grace and rejoicing in glory. Having formerly belonged to Adam, the author of sin and death, they now belong to Christ, the author of salvation and life. Although at one point in the history of Israel, the law was added to increase sin, yet grace increased all the more so that grace might reign. It is a splendid vision of the triumph of grace. Against the grim background of human guilt, Paul depicts grace increasing and reigning evermore. Not only do we share the death of Christ, we also share in his resurrection. In that same chapter of Romans, Paul goes on to say in verse 11 this wonderful truth. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. To be baptized is is us internalizing the truth of the gospel, that we have died to sin and we've been raised to new life in Christ, and it symbolizes our ongoing relationship with him. The main point here is that being a disciple, being a devoted follower of Jesus, requires personal identification and allegiance to him. And this is symbolized in baptism. You see, baptism is more than a singular event in the life of a believer. It is a reality that we must constantly remind ourselves of. I was once dead in sin in bondage to guilt, condemnation, and shame. But thanks be to God, now I am alive in Christ. I am united to Christ. Baptism is more than a singular event in the life of a follower of Jesus. It is a symbol that we have internalized the gospel. Now, what does this have to do with making disciples? In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It is important to point out that in baptism, we are baptized into two overlapping communities. The first is the divine community of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the second community is the church. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, for in one spirit, We are all baptized into one body. Not only are we a new creation, we are a part of a new spiritual family. Author Jonathan Dodson says, Baptism is missional because it is the outcome of obedience to the Great Commission. If sent disciples don't share the gospel in the power and authority of Jesus, then people don't get to respond by repentance, faith, and baptism. If sent disciples do live out their identity, sharing Jesus, then people are baptized in vivid commemoration of their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. 
Whenever someone is baptized, another disciple is sent in power and authority of Jesus to join the mission of making disciples of all nations. Jesus says, go, baptize, and teach. So we've made our way through verses 18 and 19. Now let's take a look at verse 20. Jesus says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So let's break down what teaching means and looks like for us. What are they to teach? What has been commanded? Well, this refers to a number of things. It refers to the teachings of Jesus found in the first four books of the New Testament. And also we see these teachings expounded upon in the rest of the New Testament. This also means studying, learning, and applying the Old Testament in light of Jesus as he is the point of the entire story. But let's briefly unpack for a moment what teaching is not about. Teaching is not about transferring information. Teaching the commands of Christ is more than transferring information. And this is one of the pitfalls many followers of Jesus find themselves easily walking into. We say things like, I- I've been guilty of this. If-, if we get the right information, if I get the right verses down, if I learn more and believe more, then I'll become a better follower of Jesus. However, Jesus didn't just teach his followers, he showed them how to live. As it has been said many times before, Information with application leads to transformation. Teaching and learning must involve applying God's word to our hearts. In doing so, we begin to see the promise of his word come to life in our lives. Obedience, in the biblical sense, was never meant to be about outward conformity to the law and commands. Rather, obedience to God is a delightful obedience that comes from a heart that has been transformed by God. And this is a lifelong task. The point of teaching and learning and practicing obedience is so we can become more and more like Jesus. Now, this looks like a number of things, as I mentioned earlier, but I believe the two most essential points, the the starting point, uh, that, w- that we should make a daily practice out of our lives are faith and repentance. Faith and repentance are the daily rhythm of the follower of Christ, two things that we will be doing until we are face-to-face with Jesus. What is faith? Faith is turning to Jesus and constantly looking to Him, committing our trust and allegiance to Him, deferring trust and allegiance from other things, other idols, other people, other ways of living, and putting our trust and faith and confidence in Him alone. Not just a momentary trust, but continual trust in His life and death for my sin and righteousness. Faith is reliance, practicing complete dependence on God. The second rhythm in in the day-to-day life of a disciple is repentance. If faith is turning to Jesus, repentance is turning away from sin. And turning away from sin looks like hating sin, renouncing it, asking God by the power of the Holy Spirit to change the way you think about sin. Repentance is not an optional Christian activity. 
It is the birthmark of a true follower of Jesus. Now, repentance does not mean you will never sin again. I love this quote from Greg Gilbert in his book, What is the Gospel? He says, even if repentance doesn't mean an immediate end to our sinning, it does mean that we will no longer live at peace with our sin. I love that. We will no longer live at peace with the things that Christ died for to secure for us freedom and new life. These are the two daily rhythms in the Christian life, two daily rhythms that are to be taught and observed, not just once, but for the entirety of a disciple's life. Because every single day, we drift away from faith and we need to see Jesus. And until we are face to face with Jesus, there will always be sin in our lives that we need to turn away from. So what does this mean for you and I? The best way to answer this question is by asking a few more questions. The first question that, that may have come up in your mind is, is where are we going? And where are we doing this? Jesus said, go into all the nations, but we're stuck at home during a global outbreak of coronavirus. So what does this look like in our day-to-day lives? I believe that this moment is bringing us back to ground zero for disciple-making, the home. The home is ground zero for disciple-making. Why? Because Jesus started with the home. He discipled families, his family, and he made, fo- he made his followers a family. So parents, you have the opportunity and privilege to disciple your children, to teach them to observe all that the Lord has commanded you. You get to model the image of God to them. Your home can be transformed into a safe place for growing in godliness and becoming more like Jesus. Now, the home is not just a place with a parent and a child, but it is a community, a community of people building their lives around Jesus. So young adults and and students alike, or, or maybe you live on your own, your home can be opened up to be a place where discipleship and transformation takes place as you build your life around Jesus and engage with the neighbors and people around you. You get to go and bear the image of God and bear witness to the beauty and grace of God to your roommates, to your family, to your neighbors, and to your friends. And you have the opportunity to leverage where God has placed you and build your life around Jesus. At your work, at your job, you can build your life around Jesus and glorify God through practicing a God-glorifying work ethic. I love the model that Jesus sets forth in Scripture. Whenever he rescues and redeems someone, like a tax collector or a Roman soldier, he doesn't tell them to stop doing what they are doing and go become a a church worker. No, what he says to them is go and sin no more. Go and be a tax collector and deal with people fairly and honestly and don't defraud them. Go be a Roman soldier and practice your trade with love and compassion and without violence and anger. And in doing so, you bear witness to the name of Jesus. 
But don't just bear witness to the name. Proclaim the name. We have been commissioned by God. We are sent by God, not alone, but with the presence and power of God with us. God is with you. We must constantly internalize this truth and internalize the gospel. Why? Because the gospel not only makes disciples, the gospel grows disciples. The more we internalize this truth, the more we are compelled to engage others around us and build relationships that are centered around God. The more we internalize this truth, the more we are compelled to engage in a life of service and witness to the non-believing world. And the more we internalize this truth, the more we are transformed into the image of Christ and we grow into all that God has called us to be. Church, he is with you. Let us, grow, let us go and let us grow and build our lives around Jesus. Let's close in prayer. Lord, I am so thankful that when you commission us and call us, you call us to yourself. And when we go, you go with us. And Lord, I thank you that what the gospel demands, it also supplies. Lord, that, that you supply for us everything we need to become more and more like you in the gospel. You have made available for us relationship and have given us power and authority to build our lives around you and engage others around us to go and make much of you. So Lord, I pray that this week that you would move our hearts to go, to serve you and make much of you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us this Sunday for Church Online. I have a few closing announcements before you click away. Uh, our next class for discipleship is called Establish 101 and is scheduled for May 17th and 24th from noon to one. So the link for that will be in our weekly newsletter. Now, if you're not subscribed to our weekly newsletter, I encourage you to go to thespringstx.org and you, you can subscribe to our newsletter so you can keep up with what we're doing, get the links to our different different Zoom activities and follow along with us as a church. But for now, thank you so much for joining us this wonderful Sunday. We hope you can join us for Church Lobby on Zoom. You can find that link in the comments below. Hope you have an amazing week.